You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. And this is a podcast pairing discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know, starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. (laughs) I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Welcome to another episode of Distilling Theology, where we attempt to take beautiful, complex theology and distill it down into a tasty, delicious dram that will warm your heart and soul with uh, doxological out. Burst. I don't know. I didn't plan anything this week. Sorry, guys. <laughs> no, still plans. better. Still better than Blake and I every time. It's, it's amazing. Um, I am Eric. I'm here sometimes, but with me are the all the time hosts, Blake and Justin. It's good Hello. to be back. We are the all the time hosts. I like well, that. Except for the time that Justin and Eric hosted without me, or last week when I hosted without Justin. And you know, we 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 take turns. It's yeah. all good. It's all well, good. good to you know, be back. Like, and it's good to see your guys' faces over Zoom. There's two, man. Indeed. Yeah. Socially distant. Uh, yeah. because <laughs> Mostly because we live very far apart. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> more than anything else. But anyways. Not forever. We not won't forever. be apart forever. Already and not yet. Oh, wait. Hold on. <laughs> We're already together, but not yet. This is a, a eschatological, amillennialist metaphor. Uh, of, of <laughs> We're like two minutes in and Justin's already cringing. I am I'm straining in post-mill. <laughs> uh, so we had a giveaway. Uh, where we were giving away a copy of The Whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson, which was provided for us by Crossway Books. Thank you, Crossway. And two Distilling Theology Rocks Glasses. And we are going to announce the winner of that giveaway at the end of this episode, so stay tuned. Now, gentlemen, what are we sipping tonight? Oh, Justin. Mm. (laughs) As I take a nice, delicious sniff of this joy-filled glass... (laughs) I'm reminded of sitting by the campfire with a delicious meaty meal and laughter of friends joyfully speaking about theological topics and, of course, girls. I don't know if I get that note in this whiskey. But. I am really excited uh, to dive into Lagavulin 8. Oh. Um, I have only had the 16-year... Um, so this will be my first time taking a, a swig of it, and I am very excited. It smells great, it looks great, and you guys are great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> great. Uh, Eric, tell us a little bit about this whiskey sure. as our resident expert distiller, someone who actually knows what he's talking about. Uh, sort of. <laughs> um, so this is an eight-year-old Lagavulin. It is bottled at 48% ABV, or 96 proof. Uh, it was originally released back in 2016 as a 200th anniversary special edition uh, when the distillery turned 200 years old. Um, I remember getting a bottle back then, actually, when it came out. I bought a mm. couple of bottles because it was supposed to be limited edition. Aren't you that old? He's so old, man. 2016, yeah. But I mean, 2020 has basically been a decade long. So (laughs) I think I'm starting to see my first gray hairs. So finally, Mm -hmm. but yeah, no, I I, I remember buying a couple bottles of this because I was worried that they were going to hold true to their word with the whole limited edition thing. And then after the 200th anniversary, they were like, 
nah, we're just going to keep releasing this. And I was like, well, there's that marketing again. You got me to buy more bottles. Um, no, this is a great whiskey. Uh, it, I love the distillery Lagavulin. It is owned by a company called Diageo, which there are some strong feelings about Diageo in the industry. Some people love them. Some people hate them. Um, generally, Diageo, they don't or they, they chill filter their whiskeys. So they don't not chill filter their whiskeys. <laughs> um, and they tend to add caramel coloring, uh, mm. which is, you know, Scotch whiskey is allowed to add a certain amount of coloring just to add, bring consistency to the color. Um, but that can affect taste, both the filtration and the coloration. Um, mm. So uh, purists such as our boy Andrew Owen in the, uh, in the group uh, would not be happy about that. Nonetheless, the whiskey itself is still delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we should probably, you know, prove that right now by tasting yeah. it and smelling well, it, you know. <laughs> and as we jump into that, that's something I, you know, I, I'm very much a fan of transparency. And so on the one hand, I love Ardbeg, Brookladi, Bunahaven, and distilleries like this that are very forthcoming about no color added, no chill filtration, this much age, especially. Like how, do you, they, how do you say those names again? <laughs> Uh, no, they're not Dutch, so I can't, I don't know if I can repeat that. Uh, there is a great video though. If you look up like Scotch pronunciations, I think it's mm-hmm. actor Brian Cox going through and just like saying all the different Talisker, Lagavulin, Brookladi, Bunahaven. Um, but <laughs> much better than me, obviously. Um, but at the same time, at the end of the day, if it tastes good, right? Like I'm not, that as is worried, what but, matters. But as we, before we jump to that, Eric, could you tell us a little bit like, cause I vaguely tried to explain what chill filtration was a couple of months ago and I failed sure. miserably. So, so what is it and why is it that purists get finicky about it? So in a nutshell, um, chill filtering is when you bring the whiskey down to a very, very cold temperature, um, and the oils that are in there naturally occurring from the fermentation process that carry over, uh, during distillation and also the oils that, uh, um, it, it, pulls out of the barrels uh those will pull out of solution when you bring when you chill the whiskey down to a very very cold temperature and then you'll run that whiskey through a filter uh, and those oils which will kind of coagulate together into larger um blobs essentially the filter will hold back and so you're filtering out all this oil the reason distilleries do this um is when a whiskey gets cold, those oils will come out of solution, like we're just saying. But if it, if it, you know, you buy a bottle off the shelf, um, it can, or, you know, you leave a bottle in your car in the winter time and you pull it out. It can look like there's little um, floaty things in your whiskey. Sometimes they actually look fuzzy. Sometimes they just look like little globs. Um, but it can uh, make your whiskey look unappealing when it gets cold and those oil, all you got to do though, if you ever see a whiskey that, that does that, just shake your bottle up and they'll all dissolve right back into solution. Um, but they, the, the big guys mainly do that for a consistent appearance of the whiskey. Mm. Same thing with the, um, caramel coloring that they add. Yeah. So, but it's, purists don't like it because you're removing oils from the whiskey and we all know Mm -hmm. oil fats, things like that are where the good flavor is. And so, um, sometimes the, the viscosity, the texture of the whiskey is lacking if it's been chill filtered, um, or, uh, the, the taste is not quite as pronounced as it could be if those oils were left behind. Now, whiskey like Lagavulin, uh, tastes fantastic even after being chill filtered. But what that tells me is how much better could it be mm. <laughs> if sure. they didn't do that? You know? So yeah. 
Well, thank you, Eric. See, yeah. this is what happens when we have people on that know things. Like last week, I was so blessed to hang out with James LaBelle and hear him talk about the Puritans and just bring such uh, rich, practical, pastoral theology uh, and to really ground ultimately what we're doing here, right, is mm. all this is meaningless if it doesn't lead to uh, orthopraxy, if it doesn't lead to affecting our lives and and drawing us closer to Christ. So on that note, what do we smell, gentlemen? What are we uh, sensing here? I obviously, as Eric, as Justin, Justin alluded to, smell, yeah. Justin said something about he smells girls or something, right? Is that what you said? Was that- no. no. <laughs> I'll be honest, if a, if a girl smelled like this, I don't know if I'd be excited or terrified. <laughs> no, I definitely get the, the campfire smoke, which is very typical of Lagavulin, but I also mm-hmm. get not quite as intense as the 16, but that brisket smoke, like the 16, yeah. and we'll get there in a couple of weeks because surprise, we're tasting five different Lagavulins for the five points of Calvinism. Yeah. In case that wasn't nice. clear already. Um, but for it's gonna for, be a good month. Dude, it's gonna be awesome. But for for eight, at like sixteen, it feels like I'm sticking my face like in in a smoker that's like yeah. mm-hmm. the brisket yeah. smoke is just right there. This is not quite that intense, but the the character is still there. I don't know how I else might, to explain that. I might push back and argue and say that that meaty note, that brisket note, is more pronounced in the eight year, but it's okay. it's there in both. So I guess it well, could be subjective. when I get to the sixteen, maybe it's yeah. been a while since I've had I, I it's been a long time since I've had them back to back. So I could be wrong. Yeah. I'm willing to be, I'm willing to be sanctified. Uh, in my view. <laughs> so um, I, I get salt on the nose, a lot of yes. creosote. That's yeah. that, um, you know, when you, when you burn wood, it's that tar slash ashy stuff that gets stuck in your chimney. Um, I get assorted tropical fruits. I feel like this whiskey is very balanced. You get pineapple, I get mango. I even, I get some melon, like some honeydew on the nose. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I'm almost getting like honey roasted nuts. Or, uh, mm-hmm. even some cedar like uh like in the back like like if yeah. you're out by the woods while you're you know smoking meat by the fire yep yeah yeah there is yeah. a lot happening here a little burnt sugar yes mm-hmm. yeah burnt sugar yeah that's good i get, I get a hint <laughs> of iodine and band-aid like a medicinal smell yeah, yeah. um and i also that get was that was heavy on the 16 the first time i smelled it because yeah. that was my first time having any peated like smoky whiskey of any kind and it was oh, like, it hit me like that's a ton right. of bricks. I was like, whoa. That's I was right. Like, it smells like, it smells like I'm dissecting a pig, you know. <laughs> the 16 was your first peated scotch, right? I have a story about that, but we'll get to it after we taste. That's right. Okay. I forgot that that was your first peated. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, but I, you know what I also get with this? And it's almost contradictory, but I get ozone. You know that smell after a rain? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And, and sure. warm sand. So it's like a rainstorm, but also dry, warm sand kind of there in the background. Um, Ooh, man, we're, gonna, yeah, we're okay. on a journey here. Yeah. You know, <laughs> when you, when you said that, I immediately associated the smell with being by the beach in the Carolinas, uh-huh. um, mm. like after a great dinner that we had, you know, going out and just walking by the beach. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I get bonfire on a beach with that salty sea breeze mm. um the the smoke from the fire that creosote and like roasted You're bringing pineapples. it alive my like, friend You're bringing it alive. Well, you know what i was just gonna say instead of roasted marshmallows like roasting pineapples but honestly it's like i get a little bit of hint a hint of marshmallow like if you've made a yeah. kebab if you mm. made a kebab with marshmallow pineapple mango and you and you roasted that until they were a little bit charred on the edges man that's that's what i smell in this whiskey 
It's fantastic. I, w- I, w- I want to do that now, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so ap- apparently what's going to happen when the three of us do meet up in person is we're going to get some marshmallows <laughs> and some pineapple and stick them on. Yeah. Uh, we're we're going to eat some brisket. We're going to eat some brisket. Mm-hmm. Smoke we're some gonna cigars to the glory of God. It's going to be, it's going to be, the world is not ready for that episode. Uh, <laughs> that well, will anyways, prove post-millennialism. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because there will be great rejoicing across the land. <laughs> All right. Well, before Justin says anything else wrong, <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> cheers and taste this. Cheers. Mm. Wow, that's good, man. Man, the the salt and that creosote note hit first, yeah. and it's very um, in the cedar that you were talking about, Justin. Mm-hmm. It's very drying on the front end, um, but then it gets my glands going and it gets juicy towards the finish. Mm-hmm. And that's when I start getting some of those tropical fruit notes, that honeydew melon in particular mm-hmm. coming back in. There's almost like a, almost like a barley, like a barley, um, maybe like barley and almost cane sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost got kind of like a marzipan kind of, kind of, kind of flavor going on. What's interesting too is after tasting it, after the first sip, the smell, I'm getting a lot more of that sweet sweet or a lot more of the sweet notes from the aroma yeah after the first yeah. sip yeah um with honey a sip comes on its out own. more yeah mm-hmm. uh with the first sip on its or the, sorry the first like aroma on its own without the sip didn't wasn't the full experience and on the flip side if we were just sipping it we wouldn't get the full experience either without mm-hmm. the um, exactly without the the, it's almost kind of like an apple crisp or an apple crumble uh mixed in um mm. toward mm. towards the finish you know as it just kind of sits Definitely, definitely a little nutty. Maybe almonds even. Mm. There's a lot going on. It's Mm -hmm. a very vibrant and complex whiskey, uh, especially for an eight-year-old. Again, how awesome would this be if they didn't chill filter it, right? Right. (laughs) Which, actually, I'm not even positive they do. Um, I'm just assuming because Diageo Mm. does with most of their whiskeys, and it doesn't say they don't chill filter, so I'm operating under the assumption that Lagavulin does. But it's a fantastic whiskey. Yeah, that's amazing, man. Wow. Is now the time for your controversial oh, yeah. opinion or later? Oh, yeah. No, no. Let's do, let's do it now. So uh, real, I'll try to tell a story really quick. It's all good. Um, <laughs> I need to preface this with my very first whiskey I ever had was a Lagavulin 16-year. Not just my first peated scotch. That was my first whiskey I ever tasted. Um, fell in love with whiskey first sip first nose like it was amazing i was like oh my gosh it smells like campfire what is this what is this liquid <laughs> gold um this drink of the gods and it that's so paganism patrick <laughs> exactly <laughs> well it does come from scotland so um fair so it it uh there's i have i have strong nostalgic feelings towards the lagavulin 16 year mm. and i always considered it to be one of my favorite whiskeys uh, now, here's the controversial opinion. I think the eight year is better than the 16 year. And most people who are familiar with the 16 year and even the eight year uh, probably will disagree with me and think, how could he say such a thing? Um, I'm part of a whiskey club that meets at least monthly here. And for years now, we'll taste a lot of whiskeys blind and even most of the time double blind, meaning we don't know at all what we're drinking. Uh, we'll, we'll rank and we'll score the whiskeys and we've tasted over 300 some odd whiskeys. Sorry, just giving you the background. Um, anyway, all that to say one night didn't, none of us knew this was happening cause it was double blind. Um, 
and the eight year and the 16 year ended up side by side in the tasting. We were tasting nine whiskeys that night and uh, they ended up next to each other in the tasting um, and they in order too. So the first one was the eight year, then the 16 year after it. And I got to compare them side by side, score them, rate them, all that, not knowing what they were. I rated the eight year old higher than the 16 and I about lost my mind. I was like, how, what? Oh my gosh. And not just me. Most, most of the other people in the group um, felt similarly. And since then I've, I've repeated the experiment a couple times and consistently I like the eight year more. And so now knowing that I've tried to figure out why I like the eight year more. And I, I'm not trying to convince anybody of this. This is just, you know, I think my reason is the eight years, a higher ABV. It's bottled at 48% instead of 43%, like the 16-year. Mm. So that yeah. gives you a little bit more of a lively mouthfeel. I think the younger whiskey uh, also gives more of those tropical fruit notes. I think it's a more balanced whiskey um, than the 16-year. And I love the 16-year. It's, it's not a bad whiskey by any means. It's still, yeah. I have such strong nostalgic feelings for that whiskey. But um, in as objective of a way as possible... I've mm -hmm. tasted them side by side numerous times um, <clears throat> and I just keep coming back to the eight year. So when people ask me what log of Woolen to buy, I'll say buy two bottles of the eight year because instead of one sixteen, because <laughs> you can get two, two for the price of one, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's one of those bottles mm -hmm. that if I see on sale, the eight year old, I'll pick it up. Even if I have a bottle or two at home already, much to the chagrin of my wife at times, I will stock up when I see a sale on the eight year, which I see quite a bit around where I'm at. So it's just, I think it's a great, lively, balanced, interesting scotch and the 16 year is good. But that's my opinion. And I'm sure anybody listening to this is losing their mind right now. Like, how could you like the eight year more than the 16 year? <laughs> you know, sometimes it's the earlier very, or the, the, the lower number that is. Yeah. Like 1644. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I knew where you were going with that. That's exactly <laughs> right. You, you, got, you got out in front of me. I should have. I, mm. I knew where. Congratulations. You played yourself. Every time somebody <laughs> drops that, Blake will always drop that. And he'll be like, oh, yeah, well, you're just copying us. I'm like, no, no, no. 1644 <laughs> is earlier than 1646. <laughs> that was beautiful. That was great. Where where else can you get this quality content? Uh, only here at Distilling Theology. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm... <laughs> Dude, I love throwing the, the little trademark symbol on the on the back of statements. <laughs> Everything. Just, it's, look, I have, it's that, and I and I'm notorious for using the wow reaction on Facebook in Messenger and on Facebook uh, so indiscriminately. Yeah. <laughs> People are like, "Wait, is that like a wow, or is it like wow?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I don't know. I've started yeah. I've started doing that because of hanging out with you for so much. I just wow everything, and people are like, I don't understand.' Now, the other are, one that I'll you, do is just react with the word O. Oh. Yeah, so those <laughs> that's my favorite thing that you do in Messenger, dude, when we're talking. I'll send a meme or something, and it's like super absurd. And you're just like, oh. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, you need some, some meme suggestions there. All right. So anyway, back to whiskey. Uh, yeah. are, you, are you guys planning on tasting the Distillers Edition? That is one of the log of For the perseverance of the saints. So the Distillers Edition. Episode, yeah, which that's, seems fitting. Yeah, so that that one I might like the best of all of them, possibly well, because that's that's so the sixteen saying, year, but eight but finished in sherry casks. So what you're so saying? So it kind of kicks it up a notch. That episode, maybe. <laughs> Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. All right, so friends, what you need to do is join the Distilling Theology Facebook group and post 
and tell Eric to join us for episode uh, the fifth episode <laughs> in this series where we talk about the perseverance of the saints and taste Lagavulin and distillers edition. And yeah, on and that tell note, me to get the right confession. You know what? Um, no, tell, tell me how wrong or right I am that the eight year old is better than the 16 year old. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We could make a I want to hear it in the yeah. group though, because I want to have some lively discourse. Um, yeah. So join the Facebook group. There's our plug. It's like 530 members and just wonderful and growing and lots of fun. Uh, so, so we have some prayer. <laughs> Mm-hmm. We do. We definitely need it <laughs> Amen. around these parts. Amen. Um, yeah, yeah. So if you guys have a valley of vision, which I know these two handsome gentlemen in front of me do, uh, but the rest of you gentlemen and female listeners, by all means, open up your valley of vision if you have one and turn to page eighty-two. Um, we're going to be reading about deliverance mm. on this day. O God of unsearchable greatness, before thee I am nothing but vanity, iniquity, perishing. Sin has forfeit thy favor, stripped me of thy image, banished me from thy presence, and exposed me to the curse of thy law. I cannot deliver myself, and I am in despair. But a resource is found in thee, for without my desert or desire, thou didst devise an everlasting plan honorable to thy perfections, and which angels desired to look into. And the word which announces all the glory of this goodness is nigh me, invites me, beseeches me. May I, a convinced and self-despairing sinner, find Jesus as the power unto salvation, his death the center of all relief, the source of all gospel blessings. Help me to repair to that cross, be crucified, to that to the world by it and in it find deepest humiliation motives to patience and self-denial grace for active benevolence faith to grasp eternal life hope to lift up my head love to bind me forever to him who died and rose for me may his shed blood make me more thankful for thy mercies more humble under thy correction more zealous in thy service more watchful against temptation more contented in my circumstances and more useful to others. Amen. 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 I was chatting with a friend over the weekend about the Valley of Vision. And you have friends? Oh. And what they said was, um, and which was kind of my feeling too, is like, it just takes thoughts that I have and things that, I'm, that I want to say, uh, and it says it in a way that's very biblical, that's very articulate, um, and it's just awesome. So I'm a big fan, obviously. If you haven't picked it up yet. (laughs) There he is. Anyways, so uh, as we jump into the five points of Calvinism, after being a podcast for a year, so thank you all for bearing with us, we're going to do five episodes on uh, the five points. Now, Eric, what are the five points of Calvinism? Well, we have the T for total depravity. We have the U for unconditional election. The L for limited atonement the I for irresistible grace and P for the perseverance of the saints. Is that what you're asking? Or are you asking That's what, what I, that, is? No, that was yes. it. That was it. <laughs> oh, okay. You, you were looking at me, although I, oh, like, well, you, <laughs> kind of, I'm, I'm, See, that's the problem with Zoom is you can't really tell where I'm looking. So 
It's, <laughs> it's, kind of, it's like, am I actually looking at you? Am I looking at Justin? Listen, when Blake's in person with me, I can't tell where he's looking. Okay. Well, all right. How about this? The, the tulip is the acrostic uh, that summarizes what uh, reformed Christians like to call the doctrines of grace, because we believe that they communicate God's grace to us unworthy sinners. But um, Eric, no, you Calvinists yeah. are just a bunch of arrogant people that think you're better than everybody, and you just like to shove theology uh, at other people. And, and yeah, what's your point? <laughs> no, um, no, it's yeah. I, I think it's it's very misunderstood. I think, and that that's part of what I wanted to examine it. And honestly, my whole journey into Reformed theology started here. It started with the five points of Calvinism. It started with predestination and free will and questions of this nature. And as we alluded to in our soteriology episode, we're taking an Augustinian view of man's nature, which is that fallen man apart from the mercy of God, is unable to choose God. He's morally incapable of doing so. Mm-hmm. So tonight we want to talk a little bit about that. But before we jump into the first point or total depravity, Justin, do you have any, you know, did, did the Calvinist just, did John Calvin just sit down one day and was like, I want to write down five things to make everybody angry? How did, how do we get these five points? Yep. It's all John Calvin. <laughs> no, uh, there's a whole history uh, behind this acrostic here um, going back to the 17th century. Uh, you know, we get into um, as the history of the redemptive history of Christian, the Christian church has, has gone through time. You've had people step up and come up with alternative viewpoints. Uh, so, of course, in um, the 17th century, uh, Jacob Arminius, who is professor of theology at the University of Leiden, uh, and I probably didn't pronounce that right, but, you know, whatever. Um, he came uh, really under suspicion by the more orthodox Dutch Calvinists at the time, uh, which Blake is, of course, full of Dutch people behind him right now. Uh, for those of you on Patreon, you can see that. Um, his his view uh, really radically uh, was, was diverse or different than uh, the Christians at the time. Uh, and so he, he kind of came up with this idea of free will and, and, and these other things that we obviously oppose. Um, and so, you know, they weren't strictly, his views weren't entirely Pelagian, <laughs> right. um, but that's, you know, that's where we get the idea of semi-Pelagianism, right? This mm-hmm. idea that, um, that salvation is synergistic and that man plays more of a significant role uh, in our salvation and that we're not totally, terribly, entirely incapable of, uh, of, of having a part in our salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he, he definitely differed from uh, the Calvinist orthodoxy uh, in, that, mm-hmm. in that respect. Um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead, Blake. <laughs> all, all, all I was going to say is, so where do the five points came from? There were actually five points of the Arminian remonstrance. Mm-hmm. I don't speak French, so I don't know. Remonstrance. Remonstrance. There we go. There we go. Uh, and they had their five, <laughs> five points of what would later be called Arminianism as a soteriological system or a mm-hmm. salvation the theology. The acrostic for that, I think, is like fail, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's only four letters, dude. (laughs) So they had their points. And what happened was there was a a gathering of of theologians and and church leaders at the Synod of Dort. Uh, I forget the name of the town. Dort is a shorthand. Um, And they wrote out what were called. uh, Yeah, that was close. Like Wilhelm Zebrakel. Um, (laughs) But they wrote out these five points with proofs and with details. And you can go to reformstandards.com and find the canons mm-hmm. of Dort right there. It's really, I think it's really worth reading. It's interesting. But they came up with their five points of response to the Arminians. 
Indeed. And so the five points of Calvinism, a one thing that's worthy of note is it's always been entangled in controversy because it's literally a response to an opposition, right? It's literally uh, uh, reacting to a problematic view that was that was cropping up at the time. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, you have your total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance, of the saints, as Eric said. But I find total depravity oftentimes. I, I thought that that meant before I started to study this, that you think people are as bad as they can possibly be. But like no Calvinist believes that. And I like right. what the late Dr. Sproul would say was, no, no, no. I, I prefer the term radical corruption or root mm-hmm. corruption. In other words, that to the very root of our being, everything is infected with sin. We're not as bad as we can be. We can always be, we could always be more sinful, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And yet by the grace of God, we aren't. Uh, we're as sinful as we are, but not anymore, which is crazy and mind blowing. But he's like, then the problem with that is it turns tulip into rulip, and then you've ruined your lovely acrostic. So. <laughs> um, well, yeah. uh, another instead of uh, radical corruption, you, it could be called total inability. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. that preserves the T um, because it's not, as you were saying, it's not that we're completely and utterly depraved in the sense that we're as depraved as we can be. Right. Um, it's that we have a complete inability to respond to God. Our capabilities are dead, right? Uh, I mean, scriptures abundantly speaks of uh, being dead in sin. You know, we're not sin sick, we're sin dead. Uh, mm-hmm. And a dead man can't do anything. So if our sin has caused us to die, it's not as though like um, we physically have died and been unable to do anything, but we're the walking dead essentially. Um our, our abilities are totally lacking. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Ephesians two, you know, I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. So if, if, if the scripture is true and we're dead in our sins, well then how can a dead man reach out and attain salvation? Right. Sure. That's, that presents a bit of a problem. Well, and this actually gets back to when we had Eric on talking about, uh, the fall of man. Mm-hmm. And then later when we talked about homardiology or the doctrine of sin, that's why I didn't, I didn't get too intense here, uh, with, with all of our notes, but, um, I do have this reference, which I'm sure we hit this in one of the earlier episodes from either the, the London Baptist or in this case, the Westminster, but it's chapter nine, article three, man by his fall into a state of sin hath wholly lost all ability to will to any spiritual good accompanying salvation. So as na- as a natural man being altogether averse from that good and dead mm-hmm. in sin is not able by his own strength to convert himself or to prepare himself thereunto. And that's a really mm-hmm. good summation of what we're saying here, right? We confess with the Westminster, with the London Baptist, with the Belgic Confession, that man in his fall is incapable morally of choosing God. Not only that, mm-hmm. he doesn't want to choose God. Um, right, yeah. Well, well, Romans eight. We we are at uh, the, mm-hmm. the the floor the, the floor, <laughs> the flesh against the spirit. We're at war, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it talks about the carnal mind. We're we're at enmity against God. We're not we're not like just morally neutral, right? Mm-hmm. And we yeah. get to decide what we want to do. We are enemies. We're God haters. Yeah. Um, and, and Those so in the flesh it takes, right cannot cannot right. He's right. God. right. And Paul Paul says in Romans, uh, you know, we can't or we won't, and we can't. Uh, we cannot do anything that pleases God. Would it mm. would it be pleasing to God if I accepted Him as my Lord and Savior? Yeah. Yes, but if I can't <laughs> do anything to please God, what what does that mean then? <laughs> yeah, and in John six forty four, no <laughs> one can come to mm-hmm. me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And and you know that 
passage actually hits that, that passage actually hits, I think about all the letters of the acrostic. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, that right there that no one can, it's, it's talking about our inability. We're not able. It's Mm -hmm. no one is able to come to the father. And what you were saying, Justin, in Romans eight, uh, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so there's this idea in scripture that we, we can't come to God of our own power. Mm -hmm. Um, but why? Why is that? I mean, you already referenced Ephesians 2, Justin, that we are dead in our trespasses. Mm-hmm. Um, John 8 talks mm-hmm. about um, uh, Jesus answered. So he answers to the the, the Jews here um, who are saying that they've never been slaves to anybody in their life, by the way. <laughs> she was like, we, what, it's like, what are you talking about, you guys? You guys were uh, been slaves to a lot of people. <laughs> but Jesus says, he answers them and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Mm. Mm -hmm. So we're given this picture of dead in our trespasses. We're given this picture of being enslaved. Um, This particular doctrine ties in a lot with what we talked about on our episode about free will, right? Mm -hmm. This idea that uh, our, our, our will is bound by our nature and our nature Mm -hmm. is totally depraved. Our nature makes us unable uh, by nature. It's not as though the faculties aren't there, but, but we we will never by nature choose to do anything that is pleasing to God because we are morally unable to do so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When Eric, as you get into um, further, even in John six, John six, uh, verse 65, Jesus says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me yeah. unless it is granted him by the father. Yep. Well, well, what does that mean? Granted him by the Father. When we go back to what you just referenced, six forty-four. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. No, like that. That John six forty-four is the five points of Calvinism, right. um, and it's <laughs> right. what is it? Is it the Spurgeon quote that uh, Calvinism is just a shorthand? Calvinism for the gospel. is the gospel, yeah. and it's nothing yeah. else, right? Well, it is. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the well. Let's put it this way: the if we define the gospel as the good news then the ulip is the gospel yeah right yeah. <laughs> the t not the tulip is not the ulip is the gospel the t <laughs> is the foundational knowledge that we need to have mm-hmm. in order to understand our our need for a savior mm-hmm. in order to understand our sin nature mm-hmm. um our love for sin our, our understanding the t makes everything fall into place you can't it, deny the T yeah. and then the rest of the ULIP won't make sense. <laughs> right, right. Um, sure. And, and so it, it's the bad news. That's the mm. bad news that leads us to the good news. And it really right. is. I mean, this idea short of, short of God, right? You have theology. You guys, I know you're going through systematic theology, right? Yeah. And the first thing that people study generally in systematic theology usually is the, the doctrine of God, who is God. Mm-hmm. Um, so short of that, the second most foundational thing for us to understand is anthropology mm. is, you know, the, the state of man in scripture, because who's that, God and un- who is man? Yeah. But understanding right. our nature then propels us forward, springs us forward into a need for a savior. And that's where uh, mm. we start learning about who Christ is and God's grace yeah. and condescension to us. And yeah. so the, it's, this isn't just some, idea to make us feel bad or anything like that. This is, this is what drives us to our knees uh, mm. and recognizes our need for Christ. And then that ulip yeah. comes in right behind that T and that's the good news. That's the gospel. Yeah. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. 
Yeah. Ooh, look, it's the good news. <laughs> Sproul talks about this a lot in, in regards to Tulip. He, he says, look, the most widely accepted part of the acrostic is the T, but <laughs> the T only makes sense if you have the rest of them. <laughs> you know, uh, right. the, the rest should be, should be easy in comparison mm-hmm. if you understand mm-hmm. the T. So if yeah. you get... If you if you know what being totally depraved means, yeah. and what being dead in sin means, th- the rest naturally have to be the result, right? Right? Mm-hmm. You, yeah. you can't if you're dead in your sin, you can't save yourself. And if you can't save yourself, then God is the one doing the saving. If God's doing the one doing, doing the saving, He's in charge of who gets saved. And if He's in charge of who gets saved, not everybody gets saved. Well, what does that mean? Yeah. So it's like, oh my gosh, it, it's it's frustrating dealing with that because. We, you know, we, of course, we see this now, uh, the scales, I guess you could say, have been lifted. Uh, so we can see this, this doctrine clearly. Um, but I don't know, it, it can be frustrating, but then I, you know, then I remember, you know what? I wasn't always a Calvinist, so. Well, and not, not everyone <laughs> actually really agrees on the T. Um, sure. yeah. Because uh, you're right. There are people who say they might agree with the T, but then they don't, yeah. the, the rest doesn't follow for them. And that, that that's inconsistent because the rest must follow because that is the only news that's good enough. Christ is the only one good enough. The Holy spirit is the only one who can work uh, when we cannot do the work ourselves. But the T is so foundational because that is where the divide between monergism and synergism Mm -hmm. really is. And I know you guys have kind of covered that before on the show, but for anybody um, who's not familiar, it's, it's the idea of mono mono uh, or synergy it's one working or a, a, a team. Uh, mm. I, I'm describing this horribly, but a team working, right? Sure. So it's the idea of of it's either God is is the one doing the work in salvation, or God and me, God and mm. us. We are working together to save mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Um, and a correct understanding of the T and total depravity or total inability, understanding our our true inability to. Mm. Uh, come to God, to please God, to repent without the work of the spirit. Um, if we don't understand that, then we start thinking, well, we do something in this. We have mm-hmm. some, some role to play in our salvation. Now, of course, in our sanctification, that's a whole nother conversation, but mm. tulip is really, it's, it's the whole acrostic. It's our, our soteriology. It's our salvation, Right. It's not our sanctification. It's, right. it's dealing with regeneration and repentance and our, our mm-hmm. salvation, not what follows in the Christian life. And so sure. I think a misunderstanding of the T. Yeah. Um, well, only God can yeah. make us alive. Only yeah. God has the ability to breathe life into a dead man, into mm-hmm. a corpse. Um, you know, you, sure. you've often seen the the illustration, you know, oh, I'm in the ocean and I'm drowning. Please send, you know, <laughs> and God throws you a life raft and you just have to grab on. It's like, no, you're... A corpse at the bottom of the ocean, and he mm-hmm. pulls you out of the ocean and gives right. you life. And he does that sovereignty, uh, yeah. sovereignly, without our aid, right? Mm. Without our and and I've always found it interesting and intriguing that no one seems to have any trouble looking at the Old Testament and saying, "Well, God chose Israel to be His people because it pleased Him to do so." No, no other reason, just that it pleased Him to do so. But they do have a problem with God choosing an elect people among everyone else. Well, now you're getting into the you, buddy. <laughs> right, Justin. Yeah. Come on, slow down. No, no, That's next. Uh, We're getting a little teaser for next week. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I did want to, as we jump into this, I wanted to read. Uh, this is a fairly substantial chunk of mm-hmm. passage, so please bear with. I'm going to take a mm-hmm. sip of this of this tea to uh, smooth my 
vocal cords. The T? Um, but I wanted to. You're taking ooh. a sip of total oh. depravity? Oh. <laughs> oh, gosh. We got to do. Why, <laughs> Never mind. why are you drinking tea when you have Lagavulin 8 next to you? Um, <laughs> because I'm going to read from the book of Romans and I don't want to stumble over my words. And Lagavulin <laughs> is wonderful and tasty, but it does not help uh, the speaking. So I want to read from Nonsense. Romans chapter 1. And um, we actually, mm-hmm. the church I'm going to, we just finished uh, my past, they were doing like a, a 60 or a 70 week study th- verse by verse through the book of Romans. Um, so we finally finished it up in the last week. He went through and basically summarized the entire book, which was just amazing. Um, but when he got through the beginning, we're seeing what he called, and I've heard other theologians and pastors refer to this, like Romans is like the epitome of Christian theology in the mm-hmm. text of scripture, like as an epistle, as most of the Bible isn't written in this kind of, if you will, systematic theology way. But the book of Romans mm-hmm. very much has this rich, the- it's it's super theological in its intention, where obviously all the Bible consists of theology, but Romans, because of the way it's written, because of the way the Spirit is inspiring Paul, there's a particular way that he's making these like teaching didactic theological statements to the believers in Rome. So particularly. Oh, so I want to read um, starting in verse 16, because this is important and it connects to what Eric was just alluding to that the T is intimately connected to the rest of it. So Paul starts out in verse 16 for, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the Gentile. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So before I get into the the passage that kind of alludes to total depravity, I just want to, or I don't think alludes to, I think explicitly points it out. But to what Eric was saying, the power is in the gospel. And the power of the gospel is how how is that affected? The spirit. What does Jesus say? The spirit, spirit goes where it wills, right? Like the wind, who can perceive it's coming and it's going, right? The spirit goes where he wants, (laughs) you know, like we aren't, um, waving, waving the spirit down with our great affections. Uh, the gospel is the instrument that God has chosen to use this foolishness of preaching. And yet it is the spirit that must quicken us from death to life. So as we go forward here, verse 18, he says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteous men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, this is verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And for this reason, 
God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged the natural relationships for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up their natural relationships with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what they ought not to have done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. I'm sorry that's a long chunk, but... (laughs) It's so Blake, could you orate a whole Bible for us? (laughs) (laughs) I think right there, what we see there, right, is that we are without excuse. All Mm -hmm. men know God exists. Um, It shows that we are enslaved to our sin, but I think what we see there is that we also love our chains. Um, Mm -hmm. We are unable Mm -hmm. to turn to God because we are enslaved to sin, because we are dead in our trespasses, but we are unable to do so because we love the chains of sin. We love the grave of death. Uh, we hate God. We are haters of God, it mm-hmm. says there. Um, and so short of a, a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit giving us a new heart, we will continue to be haters of God. And we will be unable to turn to him, not because we lack some, some faculty uh, but because our heart is cold, it is stone, it is cold to God, and we do not want him. I, I yeah. think a couple of weeks ago, uh, Justin, you used that analogy of the rabbits with the carrots and the vulture yeah. with the the meat. I think you said vomit on the episode, which I thought was hilarious. But <laughs> and, uh, they like vomit. <laughs> do they? Yeah. I've, heard, I've heard the same analogy, but with me. And, and you know, go, I don't want to re-explain Justin's analogy to everyone, but just go back, listen a couple episodes ago. And uh, in that analogy, we learn that we act according to our nature um, and our nature are God haters. That's that's what our nature is. Um, and that's mm. why we are unable to turn to him short of a miraculous work that the Holy Spirit does in our hearts on on Christ's behalf for us. I, I think another thing we see in that same section of Romans is we see God's sovereignty in his hand in all of it. Mm. He gave them up. He's mm-hmm. the one who's in charge, and he is allowing these things to happen, and he's giving them up by his own decree. It's not as though, um, you know, they, they were, it's not as though they were surprising God with their acts or with their actions, right? Yeah. Uh, or that, it, that, or that God was learning this information as he was watching from above. Um, he, 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 he decreed that these things would come to pass and he gave them up, uh, which we then see later in Romans nine, uh, what he yeah. talks about with, uh, you know, he hardens who he hardens and so on. So God's yeah. sovereignty is just abundant, uh, mm-hmm. in, in, in Romans especially, but just in, in that particular passage, we see that laid yeah. everywhere. I think the, the T in tulip is a very hard doctrine. Mm-hmm. It's, it's difficult for even a lot of Christians most mm-hmm. Christians probably to hear when they first learn it. Um, it's especially difficult for the mm-hmm. world. Uh, mm. People hate it. 
but they don't understand that it's a beautiful doctrine, especially when it's held in contrast to the rest of the ulip, so to speak, when it's held up in contrast to the good news of God's grace and what the work Mm -hmm. that God does in saving us. Um, how much more beautiful is God's grace when we recognize that we don't deserve it? Not only don't, do we not deserve it, but we could not do anything to earn it. We, we, we don't mm. turn to him. He first turns to us. He inclines himself towards yeah. us. And if you humor me just for one second, I was listening to a podcast the other day and um, there was a, a history teacher philosopher guy interviewing another history teacher guy the the interviewee is a catholic the guy doing the interviewing is is a postmodern atheist and and he was asking this guy why he converted to catholicism and and the important part isn't about um the interviewee's uh response but how the interviewer interpreted it and so he hears this response of why this guy converted to catholicism and he says so you turn to religion because you wanted to know that you were a good person. Is that right? And I think that's what a lot of the world sees and Mm. thinks. Um, People Mm. turn to religion to either confirm that they in fact are a good person in their mind to justify their actions and say, see, look how good I am compared relatively to this other person. Mm. Or they're, they're turning to find rules that they can follow so that they can begin to feel like a good person. But mm. for the Christian who understands this doctrine, we know we're not. Yeah. We're not good. Um, no, not one, right? Romans right. 3. I was actually, I just good. had that pulled up actually, if we want yeah. to well, go there. I, I think let's look at, let's look at the history of sin, right? The, the, mm. the first sin is pr- like pride, right? Yeah. It, the T totally undercuts the, the possibility of pride. If we recognize that we are totally depraved, we have no ability to be proud in ourselves because we recognize that we have no good in us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's probably one of the reasons why the, really the whole acrostic is so attacked by even other Christians mm-hmm. uh, of other persuasions because there's a sense of pride in this idea that I have some say or some ability or some capability in my salvation Um and so it makes sense to me that it's mm-hmm. it's such a, a doctrine that's that's so hard to, to to grasp and also one that people don't like to listen to um, mm-hmm. because of pride. Sure. Well, don't just listen to us talk about it. I want to read uh, again from from Romans here in Romans mm-hmm. chapter three, which is, of course, the, the famous like gotcha passage from Calvinists to Arminians in these <laughs> debates. But I, I want us to hear this um, afresh because he's writing here. If you follow the context above this, he's saying, what's the advantage to those who are ethnically of Israel and to those that are circumcised? You know, what's the advantage of the people that are in the covenant community, if you will? And he says in 3.9, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks or Gentiles, meaning everybody who's not Jewish, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks, at, seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. 
Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And I think, you know, the first couple of verses there really hammers the point, though. There's none righteous, no, not one. And that, that verse 11 there, no one seeks after God. So this whole um, seeker-sensitive idea, right, that I'm, mm-hmm. well, oh, well, there's just people that are Lame. just, they're just looking for, well, I, I think the intention is right yeah, in one I sense. Agree. <laughs> but the idea that there's these people out there that are lost humanity, that are fallen and don't, and haven't been born again by the Spirit, that they're yeah. looking for God in a true saving sense is just incoherent with the rest of the scripture. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, as we know, right, it is not us, but it's God who works. It's the spirit that works. It's when the preached word is go. We don't know who's, who's saved and who isn't. And we don't know when that word goes out, who is going to be quickened to life by the spirit as I'm mm-hmm. sure we'll get to in Ephesians two. Spurgeon talked about that. He said, if the elect had yellow paint on their backs, we'd run around pulling up all their shirts, but we don't. That's not the case. Yeah. So we just preach How do you know until you pull up people's shirts? What if there are people with yellow? Have you pulled up everyone's shirts, Justin? I think you're talking about the tag I mean... on the back of the shirt. Is oh, yeah. You know, save you there a little bit. But, but, I, th- but I think that, um, you know, those two passages are so clear. And you combine that with Jesus' very hard statements in John chapter 6, no one can come to me. No one, not just no one will or or may, no one has permission. No one has the ability, can. You cannot like teacher, do it. Can I go to the bathroom? <laughs> right. Well, you, you can, can. <laughs> and you may, right? There's a difference between permission and ability. And Jesus doesn't use the word for permission when he says right. no one can come to me. You know, we always talk about come to Jesus and we, and in our culture and in, in evangelical post-evangelical america if you will there is this idea of come to jesus moments that's often used in a very sacrilegious manner but we can't like that's the point right <laughs> you know right. no one can come lazarus Blake, what about what about john three sixteen? <laughs> oh you mean the what the about Ar- it right the armenian verses I've, I've never heard of john three sixteen before yeah yeah Who, whosoever blake all means all <laughs> yeah yeah first timothy two four yeah it's uh and, and we're, we're probably going to, we may touch on that tonight. We may touch on that another night. Um, this idea of Calvin. Maybe we'll touch off. on that on the Patreon exclusive. Oh, that was a good, smooth plug. Uh, <laughs> as smooth as this log of wool in eight. Whoa. And I do want to read to Eric's point there, Ephesians 2, verse 1. This is shorter. And you, when you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So just in case we miss that, we were the sons of disobedience following the course of this world under the prince of the devil, right? Among Mm -hmm. whom we all once lived. So he's just reiterating that over and over in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath. Like the Could rest Paul of mankind. <laughs> Could Paul have made it more clear? He goes know, on and on. Like, no, I don't know. That's you're like, dead. You are dead in your trespasses. You are children of wrath. <laughs> and, and also like the rest of mankind. Like that is the default yeah. setting. Yeah. You know, DOA, dead on arrival. But God. But God. Two most beautiful words in all mm-hmm. of scripture. And I, and I know that there's some, there's some corniness there's some, that happens yeah. around that with people in the culture where they're like, they're like, I was, 
because it's usually wrapped up in prosperity preaching. Like, like uh-huh. I was low on my luck, but God, but it's like, no, we were dead in sin. We yeah. hated God. We were headed for hell, but God, not, being but rich, you, right, right. Not, <laughs> what? Not, but, but then not you, but or, not or not, not even, yeah, but not even, but us and God, right. there's no, no we no. in that statement. Right. It is all of God, which it's I know solo, you guys will get to in the rest of the mm. ulub, but yeah. But God, but God being rich in mercy. Now here it is, right? God rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, right? We're just getting all the mercy, the grace, the love of God, even when we were dead. And there's that again, just in case we forgot, <laughs> made us alive together with Christ. God made us alive when we were dead by grace. You have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is what? the gift of God, not a result not your of own works, doing. <laughs> so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Mm-hmm. So just, just in case that wasn't oh, clear, that saved by grace, not your own doing. It's the gift of God. That's the whole yeah. gospel. But but f- for it to be something not of our own doing, we first have to be unable to do anything. And that's mm. what the T is all about. We are <laughs> unable. And as what Paul shows right there mm. uh, is that the T comes before the rest of the ulip for a reason. He gives us the bad news, the bad news, you are unable. And then he dives into what God has done, mm. what God is doing. And that's why the T's first. That's why it's the first there. And that's why everything else must necessarily follow after it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, listen, I think that's a good place to end it. Honestly, oh, we yeah. can talk yeah. more if you want the listen, patron, but I mean that, yeah, we'll you got to end it right there. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's that was, good. For, for those of not, you, who not what I said, I'm saying you reading Ephesians two. that like you can't, <laughs> yeah. you can't end it better than Ephesians two right no. there. I mean, that's perfect. For those of you who want to read more about man being dead in their sins, uh, please turn to Ephesians 2, Romans 8, John 6, Romans 14, Romans 3, Romans 1, Romans 3, Ephesians, yeah. Or, I mean, John 8. There's some pretty, there's some some doozies in Ezekiel and the Psalms and the Proverbs. Even in Jonah, we can, even in Jonah, we can learn about salvation being of the Lord. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's pretty, you know, there's basically what we're trying to say is Genesis to Just Revelation. Just read the Bible. Yeah, it's pretty monergistic. Well, that was actually, we didn't get to that. Uh, I'm hoping next time I get to hang out with James LaBelle that um, he will, uh, he'll, we'll talk a little bit more of his, about his background because when he was a missionary overseas, he's told me this story several times. Mm-hmm. He and his wife were reading through the Bible and they came to believe God's sovereignty and salvation, that they were wrong in their Pentecostal beliefs and like this whole turnaround. And it was his brother who was like, oh, that's those are the doctrines of grace. That's Calvinism. He's like, what? That's Reformed theology. Like by reading the Bible, he came out with Reformed theology, which is, you know. Unbelievable. It's, almost like it's biblical. <laughs> oh, shoot. Um, but anyways, Inconceivable. Though, we, inconceivable. <laughs> we, we hope that you guys are encouraged by this. Ultimately, we didn't want to be a downer. And that's why I wanted to make sure that we got to Romans or sorry, Ephesians two before the end of the episode, yeah. because um, the gospel is only good news if we understand the bad news, right? It is yeah. good news. It is the greatest news because of how bad our state is before. It's like if you get a life-saving prognosis, it's only amazing. It's not amazing if you're healthy. It's amazing <laughs> if 
your prognosis is you have two, you know, you have two weeks to live. You're, you're dead. Like you're done for. And then there's a miracle that happens. And now, oh, you're, yeah. you know, now you have new life. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's a poor analogy, obviously, because you're still, you're still breathing. This one, you, you have died. You, and someone, <laughs> and it's CPR and you're being brought back to life, new life, and ultimately a foretaste of the life eternal. So that's pretty exciting. Before we announce this giveaway winner, though, what do you guys recommend uh, for further reading, listening? How can folks, if they want to study this a little bit more, how can they get mm. into it? Uh, my personal recommendation was one, one of the first, actually probably the first reformed book that I read. A good friend gave it to me. Um, it is What is Reformed Theology by mm. R.C. Sproul. The first half of the book uh, covers the five solas, yep. mm. uh, one for each chapter. And then the last half of the book, there are five chapters, one for each of the uh, letters of Tulip. So yeah, boy, the whole great. last half of the book will be very beneficial if you're wanting to study more of the doctrines of grace. Yeah. Ooh. Speaking of Sproul, you can also read his uh, books cho- uh, chosen by God and also the holiness of God, which talk uh, directly to these particular topics, talking about God's sovereignty and salvation uh, in our inability to choose to be saved, um, but that we were in fact chosen by God. Um, and then uh, also, if uh, you want to read somebody other than Sproul, you can turn to Michael Horton's For Calvinism, uh, which Ooh. is another great read. And we yeah. all know how much uh, that Blake likes Michael Horton. So, Look, dude, the Mike Horton <laughs> and the White Horse Inn crew are amazing. They uh, are I would also, wonderful. I would genuinely, for those of us that are of a reform persuasion as well, I would recommend picking up the companion book written by Roger Olson called Against yep. Calvinism. Yeah, um, I've read it. I gained a lot of perspective at the very least. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I appreciate there, though, is the two authors, Michael Horton, the representing the Reformed view, and Roger Olson, representing the Arminian view, have been friends for decades, and they have a lot mm-hmm. of mutual respect. And that comes across in the book, even though they very sharply criticize one another for their views, they still respect and and have that Christian fellowship. And that's an important thing to remember: is that Arminians were your brothers in Christ, and Calvinists, you know what? Get out of the cage. Like go be friends with your Arminian brothers. You don't have to fight. Read some Tozer of grace. Oh, realize dude. that re, re, realize that Arminians can also write some brilliant work. Dude, so <laughs> good. I remember when I was falling down the the reformed hole um, with it. It was sometime within the first year. Um, I was like, no, 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 I, I this can't be. Um, and so I, I made it a point to read not just Michael Horan's for Calvinism, but I also uh, read Roger Olson's. Uh, against Calvinism as well, mm. back to back, and uh, you know, just came out even more convinced on the other side of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, that's that's what happens when you have uh, the Reformed theology. It's just there. It's it's cohesive. It's consistent. And uh, it's as less, yeah. And as less pointed out in um, Calvinist, his documentary about the five points mainly, uh, and ultimately pushing towards confessionalism, which I'm so glad he did that in that in the in the film. Um, the five points of Calvinism don't work in isolation. They only mm-hmm. work in a, in a reformed confessional theology that upgirds that. And I think last week, I'm, I'm so glad that before we got into Calvinism, uh, the five points, we had uh, Reverend LaBelle on to talk about practical pastoral wisdom from the Puritans and how the goal of this theology isn't to make us proud or to make us um, obnoxious. It should do the opposite. People, it should make right? you humble. It should humble us and it should push us. Ooh to love better, right? There's a quote from Calvin that I'm not going to remember off the cuff, but he basically says the, the point of why is, why is he writing the institutes of the Christian religion, this massive, but very readable systematic theology. 
the point is to make his, you know his readers the body of Christ proficient in loving one another and loving Christ right like that's the point and yeah, so yeah. that's a reminder for myself as much as for everyone listening theology right. divorced from from praxis is useless yeah, yeah really quick by the way speaking to the humility point that that this doc these doctrines should cause us to be humble um mm. albert martin uh wrote a little tiny i think it was a sermon if i remember right but it's a little pamphlet you can get it for like a dollar or two i think banner of truth put it out i don't remember i don't want to get up to go find it um but he wrote this little little pamphlet called the practical implications of calvinism mm. i think that's what it's i'm pretty sure that's what it's called find it it's a couple bucks you might even be able to find a free version online everybody but it's a real quick read you can read it in like 15 20 minutes and um man that will remind you mm. so well how these doctrines should humble you because they should and that's also uh Reverend Ian Hamilton's book, a little pamphlet, what is experiential Calvinism put out by mm. Reformation heritage. Um, mm. So yeah, that like dive into these resources, guys, get into it. And now before we do our little wrap up, it's time to announce the winner of our giveaway because somebody, uh, is, I'm not even, nope, nope. I'm not even, I was tempted to make a joke there. I'm going to, I'm going to hold myself back. Um, all right. So we're going to draw the winner. We literally drawing like right now. So let's, let's get after it. Um, Spin that wheel. If you're not on Patreon, you can't see this, but there's one massive wheel with everyone's name on it, and Blake is about to spin that wheel. And the winner is click, 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 click. Kenny Hayes. So congratulations, Kenny. Uh, We're obviously going to contact you via email and send you the information so we can ship you out to. Distilling Theology, Rocks, Glasses, and a copy of The Whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson, provided for us very kindly by Crossway Books. Thank you to everyone who participated. We have over, we had over 115 entrants, contestants into this giveaway. We're going to do more giveaways. We're working on some other exciting merch, so stay tuned for all of that. Now, Justin, next week, what are we talking about? Uh, we are going to start the ULIP oh. <laughs> uh, with unconditional election uh speaking of the elect uh that god has chosen without mm-hmm. your conditions <laughs> um, dun, dun, dun. we're going to be continuing to sip lagavulin we're going to sip lagavulin 9 the game of thrones edition uh that is not you have an to endorsement. bleep that out we, yeah, yeah that is to... not an endorsement for nope. game of thrones <laughs> no it was you can't here's the thing say it was that like on a $50 this show. bottle of lagavulin <laughs> and i couldn't not buy it yeah, you can't yeah. pass up a fifty dollar bottle of Lagavulin, no. even if it has you know Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones on it. Yeah, but we'll we'll tie it in. To, <laughs> see, we should have tasted that one this week with Total Depravity. You know, ooh, brand. that would have been uh, next time. Uh, also, guys, no, but tell them tell them why tell them why we did it. Or you, uh, you know, because you're oh, because we're going up. yeah, because we're going through yeah. the you know we're going eight, then nine, and then eventually we're going to taste some others. So stay tuned because some it's older be ones exciting yeah so it's, we're getting more mature with each point of calvinism Are you, sure? uh, <laughs> if only true. Uh, you can also go to shopdistillingtheology.com and pick up some sweet merch we've got our distilling theology quote mugs from the wonderful works of god by herman bavink uh and justin where else can people get mugs i'm actually sipping from one right now well blake you're your advertising and marketing skills are just out of this world. Uh, folks, if you join us on Patreon, uh, you can apparently, uh, according to all the comments, we're getting see me yawn, um, <laughs> which, listen, I'm tired. Uh, 
but you can see our faces, but you can also get a patron mug, uh, mm-hmm. like Blake was saying. That's another great place. Uh, if you join us at fourteen ninety nine a month for th- uh, after three months, you'll get a, a patron only mug, uh, which is really cool. Um, and and I don't even have one yet. It's on the way. On the way. But also for four ninety nine a month, if you join us on Patreon, you get video content. You get uh, all this unedited. Um, you'll get to, to see our faces, our mugs, as it were. Mm. <laughs> and took <laughs> 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 <Take> me a <laughs> second. <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, you'll get bonus content, video content. You'll get the the episodes a week early, uh, most of the time. And um, but at the very least, you will get them before everyone else. And uh, yeah, so join us there. Uh, also, Blake, mm. where else can people enjoy? Distilling Theology content. Well, if you'd like to join us in our Facebook group, go to just look for Distilling Theology. First, like and follow the Facebook page. That's where we announce all our giveaways and exciting things and uh, post other fun updates there. We have a lot of followers. It's great. Join our Facebook group so you can get in on the discussion. You can tell Eric why he's wrong to like the eight year over the 16 right. year. Or right. Uh, I happen to, well, we'll see because I'm going to be tasting the 16 in two weeks. So it's going to be exciting. And uh, you can also follow us on Instagram. We've been, we're well over a thousand followers now. We are posting photos of good books, good whiskey, scripture, six days a week so be sure to tune in don't miss it it's a lot of fun we are technically on twitter at distilling tea uh i don't think i've posted on there since we started the podcast but you know what it exists (laughs) it exists we are not on snapchat or tiktok i apologize to all the teenage listeners but you shouldn't be listening anyways because this is a podcast combining discussions of theology and distilled spirits so uh I mean, the distilled spirits was the part of that. You got to be 21 to drink. Anyways, um, <laughs> you can also follow us on YouTube. We are posting a little bit more content. We're going to post more like sneak peeks of the extended episodes, like the one we had with Dr. Samuel Renahan, which was so much fun. Two and a half hours of Baptist covenant theology. I'm not a, I'm not, uh, you know, a the best theology we've ever had on this podcast. <laughs> I'm not a 1689er, but I, I do think that was one of the bet, like one of the um, quintessential podcast episodes on 1689 federalism quite frankly like that was it was one of the it was best. two and a half hours long it was your guys's attempt at joe rogan right oh we're coming for you bro jogan it's it's happening yeah. <laughs> take your place uh and then yeah it's just it's been a blast so be sure to check all of that out and also just a reminder that we are proud members of the society of reformed podcasters this is a network Ooh. of doctrinally sound podcasts from a reformed perspective including our friends justin you want to do the roll call for me I would love to. Our friends include Assurance of Pardon, mm. The Bobcast, Christ in Context, Ourselves, <laughs> Fast God Stuff, Reformed Brotherhood, Reformed Pilgrims, Sip It on Theology, and the Steady Anger Podcast. <laughs> Sorry, I spit whiskey out of my nose that time. <laughs> Ow. Uh, you can go to reformpodcastswithans.com. Um, please don't go there without the S. It's hot garbage. Uh, Reformpodcasts.com, and you will literally have an unending feed of solid, wonderful, reformed, biblical podcasts to fill your, wait for it, it's been a long time, ear holes. Oh, bro. Man, we really don't want this episode to end, do we? And one last thought. If you guys have enjoyed the podcast, in all seriousness, um, we really appreciate hearing feedback from folks. If you would like to leave us a five-star review and uh, drop some comments in iTunes or wherever you get podcasts, it helps us out. It helps 
other people discover this podcast. So if you feel so inclined, we would super appreciate it. And thank you again for listening to this week's episode of Distilling Theology. So friends, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria. (laughs) We hope you guys liked this week's episode of Distilling Theology. Enjoy this sneak preview of the extended conversation available exclusively at patreon.com slash distilling theology. On the the flip side of the coin, do we sometimes use these big words uh, to make ourselves feel superior? No, I've never been prideful. Oh, okay. No, I, I, That's a good, good point. I think there is definitely there is definitely time where people get prideful, and I've been guilty Absolutely. of it. Absolutely. And do people pick up on that? I mean, if you use the word principium around someone, and you don't, you either say principium, oh, and by the way, let me explain that to you, because you obviously don't know what it means, or you just use it yeah. without explanation, or can't explain it, you can't define it. If someone says, well, what do you mean by that? And you're like, oh, well, uh, uh, you know, just principium, duh, don't you know? Um, I think, it, I think that does, <laughs> yeah, I think that does uh, lend credence to this idea that sometimes mm-hmm. us yeah. uh, frontal cortex Calvinists uh, can be very cold and only intellectual Um and people don't want to listen to us when we when we yeah. come across that way. Yeah, there's there's got to be a balance between bringing knowledge to the table uh, or wisdom to the table without coming off as being arrogant 